Thank you for being a member of the History of World War II podcast, episode 196, Coming into His Own. In September of 1943, Pappy lost two pilots, but their participation had helped turn the tide in their little corner of the war. By the end of September, the Black Sheep had flown 75 combat missions, which broke down to 456 individual flights and 60 enemy engagements. Pappy himself had 23 flights and six enemy planes shot down. Still, the men did feel it keenly when they lost a brother pilot. Pappy had forged them into a team of competent pilots. Now, he had to get them through their losses. Fortunately, the squadron stood firmly behind their leader, Pappy. He would get them through. All they had to do was listen and stay sharp when up in the air. Everything else would sort itself out, which was true enough. But the various things that needed to be sorted out were being handled by other people, and they were always limited to whatever supplies were to hand. And October would prove to be another month of doing what they could with what they had. On the first day of October, the squadron was sent back to the Russell Islands for a break, but then it was back to Munda on New Georgia, roughly in the center of the Solomon Islands. Overall, the squadron had clashed with the enemy and knew their planes gave them certain advantages, but they were not indestructible, as the loss of Lieutenant Walter Harris and Lieutenant Robert Alexander had shown. Still, they were giving the best they got and were told to keep doing more of the same. In fact, the black sheep were expected, like all the other pilots in the area, of ridding the skies over Bougainville of enemy planes and damaging their airfields below. This was because a November invasion had been planned and no one wanted to be the reason why the overall offensive here was not moving forward. To put that into proper English, The pilots would not have, practically speaking, a day off during the first half of October 1943. It would be, when they were not sleeping, escorting duty, or air attacks against AA gun emplacements, enemy ships, or shooting up ground forces that were to oppose the coming landings. All had to be made weak, and that was up to the air arm and the Solomons. And yet... To have trained, experienced, brave men ready to go was one thing. Having enough functioning planes, that was something altogether different. By the end of September, their Corsairs had been put through the ringer. Planes either malfunctioned or refused to start, and then the game of switching out planes, or parts, began. But all this took time, and besides, sometimes a malfunctioning plane was not even discovered until a pilot was jumping out of it, cursing all the while. Basically, a pilot had a 50-50 chance of any plane working properly or not at any time. New planes were brought in when possible, but even they succumbed to the heat, humidity, and, of course, coral dust. The pilots complained, the mechanics complained, but it was up to Lieutenant Walton, who wrote up most of the squadron's reports, to put these complaints into the proper form for the chain of command. Planes were sent elsewhere when the bigger repair jobs could not get done here, and some of those planes took an awfully long time to get back to the black sheep. But again, this came down to distance from the source, transportation, and of course, 
working in a war zone. Walton was as busy typing as the rest of the men were complaining and flying. On October 4th, Pappy headed out with six other pilots to provide escort for some dive bombers that were heading for Kahili's strongest AA battery positions. Kahili was located on the southern end of Bougainville, the largest island just before New Britain and Rabaul. But as they were on their way in, an Asian voice came across Pappy's radio. In perfect schoolboy English, the voice said, Major Boyington, what is your position, please? Now, right away, Boynton knew this was a ruse. It had not been the first time that the enemy had tried this after listening in on American radio conversations, but Pappy knew that none of his men would have been so formal. Still, here was an opportunity to set up a trap, which is exactly what Pappy did. Pappy calmly replied back that he was 20,000 feet over Treasury Island, which was actually several miles southwest of his current position. And with that done, the seven Corsairs got into position, ready to pounce on the enemy planes as they rushed up to set their own ambush. Minutes later, the airfield at Kahili began to stir. Moments after that, 30 Zeros were in the air, gaining altitude, which is when Pappy and company pounced on them from on high. Pappy chose his first target and dove. When he was 300 yards away, he opened up. But wanting a better shot, Pappy sacrificed much of his speed by skidding sideways to get in again behind his target. This time, with the appropriate speed, he let loose. The enemy plane in front of him lost its tail. The affected plane began to spin, and it would not stop spinning until it hit the water below. Back to Pappy, the second that he saw the tail separate itself, from the main body of the plane, he turned towards the next nearest plane. A quick burst, the Zero did not have time to try any maneuvers, generated smoke from the plane and the pilot from the cockpit as he parachuted out. Again, turning away once the job was done here, Pappy got in behind a third Zero, depressed the machine guns, and kept it that way until smoke could be seen. Seconds later, the enemy plane exploded. Boynton would write later that day when doing his report, bagged three zeros in less than 60 seconds. And he had. Pappy was quickly becoming a god to these men, and as he was still learning, he made sure to pass that on to them. Again, he stressed diving down on your target, and if things did not work out, then keep diving in order to get it clean away. You can always climb and try again later. But whatever you do, no standard dogfights with the enemy. Those zeros were still too agile for that, especially at a lower altitude. Next, as angry as the Allied pilots would get after hearing of the latest atrocities of the Japanese ground troops against their comrades, Pappy had to remind the men, air combat is not personal. It was not the time to purposefully aim at the pilots, but rather the goal should be to destroy or damage the aircraft. Period. That was the goal. That was the priority. A damaged plane would take care of the pilot itself. Their goal, hell, every American's goal in the theater, was to rid the sky of enemy planes. If they could do that, then the next leap could be made, and they would all be that much closer to going home. Focus on the plane. 
not the man in it. Eleven days later, October 15th, more B-24 bombers were heading for Kahili, with Pappy and some more Corsairs providing escort. Suddenly, some 15 Zeros were approaching. A nasty dogfight ensued, but the black sheep remembered their training. By the time it was all over with, there were six fewer Zeros than there had been. Pappy got a confirmed kill and two more probables. I think it's fair to say that people like Pappy, who had plenty to be upset about or view their lives with themselves as the world's biggest victim, tend to do well in extreme situations, or at the very least, when they have something larger than themselves and they can forget their own narrative or simply do not have the time or energy to think on it. Either way, at this point in his life, Pappy was happy. He was flying, he was fighting, he was leading, and him and his were winning. The perfect recipe for a man like Pappy. Or as he put it later on, I'm working with the best bunch of guys in the South Pacific. I'm flying, I'm fighting, I'm killing Japs. I'm the happiest man in the world. Having such success, Pappy's superiors were happy to let him be. The black sheep were taking down Zeros, escorting bombers, who were getting their own job done, and no major flack was coming from these rather wild men of the squadron. So it was decided to just let sleeping dogs lie, if those dogs were massive beasts with teeth that tore the heart out of the enemy. Not that this had originated from Pappy's brain, but it was at this time that he kept asking for the freedom to lay down more of his own ambushes for the Zeros. The brass loved this aggressive thinking, but at the moment, there was much work to do in order to prepare for that November invasion. Bombers had to be escorted, various ships and forward positions had to be guarded, and there was always the possibility of having to react to the enemy in case they decided to be more aggressive. But seeing that the black sheep were on a roll of sorts, Pappy got the nod for his ambush. So three days later, after their latest outing, now October 17th, Pappy sent four Corsairs up to fly towards Kahili. They would surely bring out the enemy. But what they did not know was that Pappy and 13 other black sheep were waiting a ways away, up high, to attack those who were going to attack his. Sure enough, Pappy up high spotted the activity on the airfield below. Using his throat mic, Pappy told his winged warriors, Here they come, boys. Don't get too eager. Pick your targets. The engagement that resulted lasted for about 30 minutes and encompassed just over 20 square miles. Through the barely organized chaos, the black sheep could be heard yelling out warnings to each other, as well as having each other's back as a corsair was harassed, but soon a second corsair was on the tail of the harasser. Now the harassee. And this circus-like atmosphere that had men screaming for their comrades to look out or dive away, to bank hard right, was right up the American pilot's alley, and Pappy knew as much, which is why he kept pushing for this rather loose assignment of setting traps for the Zeros. During this latest fight, 12 Zeros were splashed, while the Americans lost not a single plane. Pappy downed another three planes, which only caused more reporters to flock to his little corner of the world. But the joke was on them. 
The pilots and crews were much too busy to talk, and the reporters now had to deal with the same living conditions as the pilots. And the hectic pace did not stop. The very next day, Pappy decided to press home his advantage. With 18 Corsairs around him, Pappy was flying for Kahili. The brass one of the sky above the airfield cleared. Well, that's what he would do. As they got closer, that same clear-speaking Asian voice came over the radio. The man on the other end of the radio was probably sitting in a Zero fighter at that moment on the ground below, asking for Pappy's location. Pappy, who was in no mood for games this time, replied, Right over your lousy airfield, you yellow bellies. Come on up and fight. Which was a good answer. But the reply was, Why don't you come down, Major Boynton? Again, not in the mood to play, Pappy told the men to hold their position. And with that, he dove down to strafe the airfield. As this was a trap, every AA gun in the area pointed at Pappy and fired. His Corsair, to be sure, took damage and was bounced around by all the nearby explosions, but Boynton shot up the field and then returned to his men. When he was back among the black sheep, Pappy got on the radio and said, Now, come up and fight, you dirty yellow bastards. The pilots below, themselves equally brave, took off, 40 of them. Seeing this, the black sheep dove down and the two large formations of planes quickly broke into numerous individual battles. Most of the fighting took place around 6,000 feet. But again, Pappy's men listened to him and focused on the science of air combat and not just going in guns blazing, which would have only caused those same guns to be empty in a matter of seconds. Between that and their stellar use of the radio, the pilots protected each other's backsides. In the end, eight more zeros were down. Pappy got one, and, again, no black sheep were lost. Things were good for Pappy and the black sheep, but it had taken months of Pappy's carping to occasionally get free of escort duty. Pappy's point of view, and he can be forgiven for thinking such things, like the following quote, this escorting can be paralleled to the lineman's duty on the football field. A lot of work, and the backs make all the touchdowns. Pappy wasn't wrong, but that's how football games are won. Teamwork and specialization. It was the same for the war, mostly. Even before the war was over, British General Bomber Harris, who said the bomber would always get through, was wrong. But bombing did not stop. As with Pappy, it would have been unwise to leave the bombers at home and just raid the enemy with fighters. Again, it was teamwork. Pappy just didn't want to be the one escorting the bombers. He wanted, like every other pilot, glory, and that could only be had by going up against the Zeros with no bombers around to protect. Indeed, the October 4th dogfight had turned into a fighter sweep just as Pappy had been asking for. And it's not that he was wrong, but the Corsairs could not only carry out fighter sweeps and ignore the bombers. They had the equally important job of softening up the enemy on Bougainville before the main invasion came. But this is the military we are talking about. Bluff courage was one thing, but the brass wanted numbers crunched, as in, show me what you want to do and why and how it will work. 
Other than that, and yours truly was raised by an Air Force man, you were just talking and worse, wasting my time. So a report was put together on October 15th that said perhaps the Corsairs should go in ahead of the bombers instead of with them, and a second group of Corsairs could stay behind the bombers. That way the black sheep could fight and not have to worry about guarding while fighting. The brass upstairs wasn't ready to hear this, but they were coming around. Results, like October 4th, spoke volumes. On a personal note, Pappy drank a little less during the month of October. To be sure, he emptied many bottles at night while off duty. But the next morning, he was back, ready to fly, lead his men, and give them encouragement. As many of the black sheep said of this time, Pappy may have flown while hungover, but never drunk. Who knew war could be therapeutic? Mid-October marked the end of the six weeks of straight duty, and having reached their six weeks, which was a full tour, it was time for a break. The relief squadron would be there soon, and then it was time for Australia. This made all the men smile, even Pappy. As dedicated and, well, basically cocky as hell as they were, everyone has their physical limit. And six weeks of constant flying took everything from the black sheep and gave them nothing in return. One pilot in particular was lucky to be alive, much less going to Australia, and his story is worth telling. Lieutenant William Case was happier than all of the other black sheep, because when this tour was over, he wasn't just heading to Australia. No, he was heading home, stateside. Pappy was aware of this, of course, and tried to steer young William away from any above-average danger. Young William was also in on this plan to save himself. On a mission just before heading out for some R&R, William had the seat lowered in his Corsair for that day in order to have more of the plane's armor shielding him from behind. No sense in dying just before you get to go home. And sure enough, on that day's flight, a dogfight ensued. At one point, in trying to shake loose a pursuing Zero, suddenly a bullet came into the canopy and grazed the top of William's leather helmet. The bullet actually caught enough of the helmet to push William's head violently forward. For the rest of the flight home, William could only think of what could have been had his seat not been lowered. Those mechanics back on the base... They deserved a kiss, but they would probably settle for a beer. When William left his plane, Pappy walked up and said, Son, you just used up all of your luck. Young William was benched until it was time to leave. On October 18th, the replacement squadron arrived. The black sheep could just taste the sands, the liquor, and the women of the land down under. And yet... On the night before they took off, Pappy was told by his superiors that four of his pilots needed to hit Kahili one more time. Pappy, not happy, said, let the new guys do it. That's why they're here. But the brass would not hear of it. Pappy's men had the experience. They knew the layout. Four of them were to go up. Now. Pappy walked towards his men where they were hanging out and made a quick decision. Breaking upon his men, the squadron leader barked, Which of you clowns wants to go with me to Kahili for a little going-away present? The men were not happy to hear this, but they could tell 
that Pappy wasn't happy either. So three of them stepped forward. Soon the three black sheep, with Pappy in the lead, were on their way to Kihili. Pappy could have easily just ordered four men to do it, but he took one of the positions himself and asked for volunteers. By the time they all returned, unharmed, Kahili, Kara, and several nearby barges had been strafed. The black sheep's first tour had come to an end, and the men had put up impressive numbers. Solid results that moved pins on maps back at HQ. The skies over Kahili were less menacing than they had been. Bougainville was now that much more vulnerable. The brass also noticed that the Japanese pilots over Bougainville were much less aggressive than times past. But were they saving fuel, husbanding their resources for a big attack, or just trying to stay alive against the efforts of the black sheep?